Hello and welcome to the podcast, Are We Nearly There Yet? My name's Professor Andrew Sherry and I'm interested in people's journeys to discover who they are and what they're made to do. We can all learn something from other people's stories, so join me on another adventure. Try to find that correlation in everything that you do. You know, why do you enjoy might be maths? Why do you enjoy working with a group? Why do you enjoy working by yourself? Today I'm talking to John Salthouse. John is currently the content director for Our Live, which is a brand experience agency specialising in employee engagement, training and events. John has over 10 years experience working in engagement with companies such as Google, EY, Toyota and even the National Nuclear Laboratory. Outside his working life, John has got an interest in classic cars, in cycling and photography with various cameras behind him on the shelf that I can see, at least. Welcome, John. It's lovely to see you. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. What an introduction. Thank you very much. (laughs) So I'm going to have to ask you, first of all, classic cars. What's your favourite classic car and have you got one? I do. I'm a huge fan of Morgan, a British sports car based in Malvern. Uh, my uncle, uh, I think, had a, a couple, and I remember seeing them when I was probably eight years old and just falling in love with this, this thing. Um, yeah, and I've hired a few for special occasions, um, and yeah, it's got a special place in my heart uh, for Morgan. The last time I looked at Morgan, the waiting list for, to buy a new one was between 15 and 20 years or something. I don't suppose that's come down at all, has it? <laughs> It's about the same, um, which is fine because uh, it gives me enough time to save for one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're amazing. I know every time you see one out on the road, it stops stops you in your tracks. So, John, you you grew up in Birmingham. Tell us a little bit about family life as you were growing up. What sort of person were you? Absolutely. Um, So, yes, I was born in Solihull in Birmingham uh, and lived there until I was about 19 years old. Um, My dad worked in um, financial services um, and my mum did an amazing job um, in counselling for um, rape and sexual violence uh, victims. Um, I've got a younger brother called Josh, um, who um, was always the the clever one uh, in our family. And I was always the the creative and the the artistic one. Um, So I went to to school and I suppose, as I mentioned there, I I was always the, the one that was seen as creative I was always part of drama I even played uh, Danny Zuko in the school play of Greece uh, which was fantastic so yeah I think um you know some, some of the the challenges I maybe faced um at school was um you know I think school is very good at teaching people to be a certain type of person um, I think one of my favorite quotes is if you um, ask a fish to climb a tree it will always believe it's uh, a bit of an idiot um, and I don't know why that always resonated with me. Um, I knew I had a, a great skill set, but for some reason it just didn't quite show up uh, in school. There's a really interesting book called The Element by a chap called Sir Ken Robinson, who sadly died last year. And he talks about this point precisely because he, he asked the audience, how intelligent do you think you are on a scale of one to ten? You see, and he counts down from, from ten down to one. And his point is we are all intelligent but our definition of intelligence is far too narrow. 
and and you know this is he, he was passionate about this within schools because he said we we measure intelligence in a particular way and that might suit some people but it certainly doesn't suit everybody we need to widen our perspective on this absolutely and i think one of the first um opportunities that i recognized you know the way my brain works is very different to everyone else was a um, a french speaking test so this was for gcse and um Part of the criteria was you had to you know, talk about yourself and what you want to be doing. Um, and as part of that, um, we were only able to um, bring in a, a small note pad with us. And that was only able to have, I think, like 20 words on it. I wasn't great at French and I knew that 20 words was not going to be sufficient uh, for me to pass this speaking exam. So um, I wrote and, and drew diagrams and drawings and phonetics, um, which prompted me to think about what I was saying in a different way. And um, at the beginning of the, the speaking exam, I had to show the instructor that I'd only got 20 words. And I remember them looking at this hieroglyphics, I think is probably the best way to describe it, and looking at me being like, I don't know how you understand this. But actually, it, for me, that, that worked really well. That was how my brain processed information. Um, and, you know, and I think similarly, I use those techniques with my clients um, in what I do, you know, day to day to day. There isn't always just one way um, to process information and, and communicate it. So, so do you think you're dyslexic or, because often that is, I mean, I've chatted to other people, I've always suspected myself, I think in pictures, I find it much easier to imagine things than to understand equations or even, you know, I love playing music, but ask me to follow a score. I really, really struggle with that sort of thing. It just doesn't fit me. And I believe I was tested for dyslexia when I was in junior school and um, I don't believe uh, I, I was. Um, I don't have, you know, I, I work in the world of language, so I'm very good at writing and communicating and, and numbers I'm also very good with, but I think I, I do, I do see the world in pictures and frameworks and models and that's the way I, I process information and, and actually communicate information um, as well. No, it's, it's really interesting that. Um, so from school, you then went to theatre school. Um, so I, I want to ask you what your brother did and then you did the theatre school. And how was that sort of transition and that decision? What sort of led you down that path, which I'm guessing was very different from your brother? It was very, very different from my brother indeed, yes. Um, so, yeah, after school, I went to do, it was um, an, an initial one year at uh, sixth form. And we had to do, I think it was seven AS levels, which was just crazy. And I remember doing my first year of assessment, I think I got C, D, E, U, U, U and U. Like, it, it was a disaster. Um, and my heart just wasn't in it. I, I just didn't feel connected to the subjects I was, uh, I was studying. So I had a really good chat with my parents. And I must say, my parents have been very supportive uh, throughout my entire uh, career. Um, and they were like, you know, what are you passionate about? What do you enjoy? And for me, it was a bit of dance. It was gymnastics. It was drama. It was very kind of hands-on vocational uh, things. And um, my mum did a bit of research and she found a theatre school. Birmingham Theatre School um, and she said what do you think about this and I, and I couldn't believe that my parents were so supportive I, I kind of assumed 
that you know you, you should go down the academic route you should go down the you know the university route but actually they were so supportive and allowed me to go down this this theatrical route which you know to your point earlier was is very different to what my brother did who um, I think he did the international baccalaureate uh, so it's like five A levels combined together um, and then he went to university to study um, human psychology and science psychology um, that that kind of world there so very he's always been a very very academic person and I've always been known as the vocational the the creative one that's really interesting and, and it's lovely that your parents were so supportive of both of your journeys and the fact that they were different and you can celebrate those differences uh, as well so when you got to theatre school did you feel at home more than you had in the classroom at school then? Oh, completely. Yeah, completely. Um, I absolutely thrived, absolutely thrived. Um, and it showed up in um, my behaviours, uh, in, in how I performed, you know, every, every day. Um, I actually broke my right uh, wrist within the first two weeks of theatre school. And we had, you know, huge amounts of written work to do. Um, so I learned to write with my left hand. Um, so I, I am currently am, ambidextrous um, because I didn't want to let my uh, the quality of me slip. Um, yeah. Would I have put that same effort and energy if I broke my arm, uh, broke my wrist at like normal academic college? Possibly not. I would have probably used it as a bit of an excuse. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed theatre school um, and it kind of showed up in um, the results that I got from theatre school, triple distinction. Um, you then went to Stella Mann College, musical theatre, and I just want to, I'm just wondering, every so often you look back on those moments at theatre school or, or at Stella Mann, where you just felt, I mean, I mentioned the book, The Element, you just feel in your element. Is there a moment that you can look back on from that period where you think, I just knew this is what I was made to do? I, I think so, and I think it was a transition between um, Birmingham Theatre School to Stella Mann. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, Stellarman is a professional musical theatre school um, based just outside of London. It's a three-year course. It's basically university for professional dancers and singers and actors. Um, and for me, it was the audition process. So you go into a room and you know, you've got another I don't know, 60 people around you. You've got to learn dance routines very quickly, songs and three-part harmonies very quickly and there's a bit of acting there as well um, and it's highly competitive highly competitive um, but um, I also played the piano so I remember in my singing audition um, walking in and the uh, the panel in front of me said right have you got your sheet music yes here it is um, off you go and I said just before I start would you mind if I play the piano and do my singing audition. And they're like, oh, yeah, that's different. We've not seen that before. Uh, so I did, I, I sat there and I played uh, my, my audition. And I think that that little moment there um, was the enabler that allowed me to get my full 100% uh, scholarship to, to dance school. Um, so yeah, I think that was that, that moment that I thought, this is, this is me. They're so special, those moments. I, I, you know, I can think back on certain things in my career where it feels like a number of things all come together 
you know, both within you and the circumstance around you and that particular moment, which makes you just have that sense of this is what I'm meant to be and where I'm meant to, you know, what I'm meant to be doing in here now and that sort of thing. They're special, those moments. Um, so when you were coming to the end of those three years at Stella Man, what were your sort of options for what you were going to do afterwards? And what did you do afterwards? Yeah, so this is really interesting um, because for my entire career up to that point, um, I'd always been the vocational one. Put me into a, a college full of vocational people. I was the academic one. I, was, I started reading, uh, there's a book behind me, this yellow one here, um, Project Management for Dummies. I started reading that in my second year of dance school because I just had this, this enthusiasm for how things worked and, and stuff like that. So um, in my mind, I kind of wanted to move into the, the management side of entertainment. That's kind of, I think, where I, I started to see my, my skill set form. Um, but after uh, Stella Man, um, I worked in cruise ships. Um, I travelled the world to some amazing places, the Mediterranean, the Bahamas, America, Canada, um, travelling around working as part of the entertainment team. Um, so on some ships, I was the cruise director. Uh, some ships, I was the dancer and other ships, a family entertainment host working with the, the likes of Nickelodeon. And it was fantastic. It was like a paid gap year. Um, but it taught me so much about different cultures, different ways people work. Um, and obviously I picked up some really good skills from the, the cruise director uh, side of things as well. So you, you were dancing and you were you know, being involved in all those sorts of different ways and interacting with all sorts of people. Um, that obviously came to an end at a particular point. Just talk us through what happened and, and, and what your options were after that and why you took the direction you did. On my last cruise ship, um, in the rehearsal process, I actually ripped my abdominal muscles. Um, so it was a huge kind of shock. And at the time I was probably 22 years old. Um, and most dancers do tend to retire before 30. But retiring at 22 as a professional dancer is not a great place to be. Um, so that then made me kind of open my eyes, you know, with, with one door closed, it, it opens a few other opportunities. And that's when I really started to look into um, the kind of management side of things, management of entertainment. So the, the role that I then moved into was a freelance event manager. Um, and it was a mixture of kind of uh, live marketing, experiential marketing events, um, but also uh, creative uh, events as well. So I think one of my proudest moments was um, choreographing, managing, producing, um, England Netball's halftime entertainment. Um, so we worked with a brand called Zio, uh, a soft drink sponsor. And we had 22 male break dancers um, that we worked with. And um, yeah, we, we produced this tour. Every um, event that England Netball um, produced, we had our team of dancers there um, promoting the soft drink and just you know, bringing a, a great uh, environment to the the atmosphere um so yeah that was probably one of my proudest moments because it was this mixture of entertainment management working with brands it, it challenged me hugely um a huge amounts of challenge but i felt so proud uh, delivering that type of thing 
I mean, that's fantastic, isn't it? Sort of looking back and going, if if I hadn't have been injured, then I might not have taken that decision and this might not have happened and I wouldn't have had that proud moment. But I guess at the time, you know, when you, you've torn your stomach muscles at the age of 22, that's quite a lot to come to terms with, isn't it? At, at, you know, at any age and, and at that age, particularly with what you were doing. How do you think, because I mean, these sorts of life events happen to all of us at different times in our lives and they can impact our options going forward and sometimes dash our hopes because we have our mind fixed in a particular direction. How did you sort of work through that? Did you find it easy? Was it difficult? Did you have support or, or how did you work through that moment to get to that really proud point? Yeah, I think... Um... In moments of adversity, whether there's a problem with you, family, friends, challenges in, in your personal life, um, everybody, I believe, resorts back to their core values. Um, and for me, one of my core values is optimism. And I saw this challenge and um, instead of seeing it as an excuse, I decided to look at it as an opportunity. Instead of saying, I'm, I'm struggling, I need to um, go on to um, the doll. Um, I decided to reach out to new people that I've not spoken to before, show their, uh, sh share with them my interest in um, more of the event side and uh, entertainment management side of things. And I built relationships and that just snowballed and um, ended up you know, managing this, this amazing England netball uh, production. And I think and that's purely based on having an optimistic uh, perspective on a, on a challenge. Yeah, yeah. And a strong will as well, because you said, I decided to focus on, you know, sort of positive rather than dwell on. And that is a mental strength, actually, isn't it? And I've known other people who, you know, hit with adversity will make a mental decision that they will focus on the positive and actually decide to do that, which is huge mental strength of course but does create as you say a more optimistic opportunity sort of um, future and creates things that otherwise might not have happened because we it's always easy looking back you can join the threads going back can't you looking back but at the time at the moment you know making that decision was it was a big thing and, and um, it's fantastic that you were able to uh, to do that Brilliant. So, so you got into this freelance event management. You did um, a level five award in behavioural economics. So, I guess you're building your skills and training in, in that sort of direction. You had that fantastic moment, and and then you move on and you're working as a producer and you're leading pictures and briefs, working with large companies, in all sorts of sectors and so on. So, tell us some of the stories, the challenges you had there, and how it felt and how it went it, it's really bizarre you know being a, a producer when looking back you know maybe a year or two years I was dancing in a studio and now I'm in the boardroom I've literally gone from ballet bar to boardroom in a matter of two years it's, it's mad um and I remember sitting in a uh, an investment bank's boardroom um introducing myself to uh, their senior management team working with my team and talking about what projects we're going to be delivering and working with them on. And I had huge amounts of imposter syndrome. I sat there and I was expecting somebody to point their finger at me and say, what university have you been to? Why? Yeah. 
why you um, qualified to tell us how to deliver our communications or speak to our audience in a certain way. Um, nobody ever did, but for me, that's just what I felt um, people were thinking whilst I was sat in that boardroom. Yeah, yeah. And how do you process that? Because a lot of people feel that imposter syndrome, even those, you know, who, you know, been to university and got high degrees or, or you know, what, or not, or whatever. We, you know, we all have those moments where we think, should I be here? How do you cope with that sort of thing? Yeah, I, I think um, because I, I recognise that I hadn't gone down the academic route, um, I didn't have three years of university time, you know, behind me. The way I saw every working day was how can I build university into um, my, my working week? So I would always arrive at work maybe about an hour early and I'd always finish either an hour late. And of course, I've got an hour uh, train commute either side. But I would use those extra two hours in the morning and maybe two hours in the uh, afternoon as learning upskilling time to almost compensate for the, the lack of academic learning, that kind of foundation um, that I didn't necessarily have. That was me upskilling myself very, very quickly um, so I could perform in my day-to-day nine-to-five role. Um, so yeah, that's, that's pro- that was my coping mechanism. Um, I felt I was on the back foot and I had to do something different to, to get ahead. Yeah, and were, were there any particular books or themes which you found personally more helpful than, than others during that reading and learning? I, I remember downloading um, an app called The Blinkist, um, which basically takes um, books and delivers them in 15 minute bite-sized chunks. Um, and this was perfect for me. Somebody who, I, I don't want to use the word shortcut, but maybe hacked the system, Found instead of reading a book over, you know, let's say eight hours, I was able to extract the key messages from that book in about 15 to 20 minutes. So I would do that. I would listen to the uh, Blinkist book, 15 minutes. I would then spend another probably 30 to 45 minutes reflecting on that, maybe jotting down a few notes um, and, and, and trying to find how can I use uh, the messages from that book in what I was doing either in that week or with a client. And it was everything from leadership to um, identifying problem-solving frameworks and strategic thinking. All of these things you know, helped me get ahead. Yeah, and the nice thing was you were reading about it, thinking about it, and then putting it into practice. Absolutely, absolutely. There's um, One of my favourite models is Bloom's Taxonomy, and it's about what we do with information. And we don't want to just remember the information. The next level is understand. The next level is apply. For me, that's the minimum. We need to take information and apply it to what we do. Then the three layers above that are evaluate, analyze, and then create. And that's the most important one. Use the information to create new things, new models, new processes, new things that work, perhaps. Um, obviously, that's the, that's the point of information communication. Mm, absolutely that's that's fast that i mean that's so encouraging for other people who might feel a bit on the back foot i think actually i can use my time differently i can take things on board i can apply them and you know you going up that sort of chain as you've just described and create a different future it's brilliant 
So you took a role at PS Live and then you moved to the Smarty Train. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about the Smarty Train uh, for a minute. Tell us what is the Smarty Train and what attracted you to work there and what was it like? Yeah, so the Smarty Train, um, they specialise in um, training, events, research, consultancy, um, but importantly, specialising in the kind of graduate audience. Um, so I was their creative producer and we worked with a variety of different clients to um, help onboard, induct um, graduates into the, the world of work, basically create the stepping stone from university to the world of work. It was a brilliant job and I learned so much about the professional services world. I had no idea this, this whole world of internal communication, employee engagement, employer branding. I had no idea that existed. So it was a huge, it was a massive uh, learning curve. But yeah, you know, we, we worked with a variety of different clients to, to communicate um, what the world of work actually looks like uh, for these university students. And to refer back to Bloom's Taxonomy, they probably remember uh, lectures, they've understood them, but this is about using that information and applying it to work, the world of work. And, you know, when you think about how much time we all spend at work, getting the best start we can get and learning those sort of tools that will help us on our, our journey is so important at that moment, aren't they? And I think it's really important to um, just reference the difference between technical training and soft skill training. Um, and I remember working with a financial services um, business and we inducted, I think it was it's like 450 global graduates uh, into the bank. And part of that was technical training. So understanding what products and propositions are, mortgages, understanding the customer. Um, but then the other side of it was presenting, communicating, resilience, all of these things that actually have to go hand in hand with, um, with the technical skills. It's all very good being the expert at um, creating a new mortgage solution. But if you can't communicate that to a senior leader within the business, there's no point having that knowledge and information. And I think the tip of the iceberg is why you do it. And this is about purpose. You know, what, what purpose do you have um, and your business has that aligns you together? You know, are you, you know, making money is um, a side effect of business. But the purpose, what are you trying to do? Is it to solve world hunger? Is it to um, you know, grow the business so that you're um, helping people develop and learn? Whatever that, that true core purpose is, for me, that's what people need to identify within themselves and try and find a role that matches that. Yes, because yes, that's about being true to who you are, isn't it? And, and what motivates you. And it does take time to sort of work out a little bit, doesn't it? Because your first job is probably about, well, I want something. I remember I used to say, I want a job that is interesting and pays reasonably well. So I didn't need to worry about, you know, financial side. That, that was my reason for working. But that changes through your career. So for you now, I mean, you're now at Our Live, you're head of comms and content for the company. What do you think your sort of core purpose or what have you learned about your core purpose in taking you in that direction so um 
through the, the four years um, that I've been at Owl Live, I've definitely done some, you know, soul searching, some you know, uh, digging. And I would distill my purpose down as to learn and to share. And what that means is I'm passionate about consuming complex information, processing it in a way that I can communicate it in an engaging way that people just get and it encourages them to do something different with that information. And if I look back all the way back through my um, career, back to school, back to that French exam, I've consumed some information, French. I've processed it by using that kind of hieroglyphic drawings. And I've then recommunicated it in a way that hopefully I got uh, an A, and I think I did uh, for, for my French exam. So right back then, you know, that was the, the absolute core of my purpose and it stayed with me all the way throughout my career. It's great, isn't it? Because it's almost like a sort of, I'll call it a moral compass, but it's a, a compass that can help direct your life and know whether an opportunity is right for you or, or whether it's going to take you west when you should be going north or something like that, isn't it? That's lovely, lovely to hear that. And, and I have to say, you know, when we, we worked together on the, the National Nuclear Lab SciTech conference, didn't we, in, in, in Liverpool, and your ability to kind of connect with what we were trying to communicate, which was all about innovation, and bring in different ways to tell that story and communicate it with that sort of wide audience was so helpful. I mean, we even got jazz piano in there, didn't we, with Keith Jarrett playing a broken piano in the most highly sold LP ever from the 70s or something. And it was just great because it just brought that whole, you know, message. Like, well, it was quite a complicated message, but the ability to take it on board, think about how do we communicate a message about taking a chance, about doing things differently, about, uh, you know, not always following the track that we've always done, you know, was so helpful. And, and again, true to your purpose and your values so really appreciated that well that's very kind of you to say that i think um, it just shows the importance of um technical skills versus soft skills because i am not a nuclear scientist i have no nuclear uh, experience um but what i do have a lot of experience in is communication um and to go back to my purpose to learn and to share i became um so passionate about learning about nuclear content. I spent you know, hours listening to your colleagues and sharing their enthusiasm for their subject matter expertise and then process that and re-communicate it to an audience who don't know about nuclear content so that they can also share that enthusiasm uh, for nuclear content as well. That's right, that's right. So I'm just thinking about you maybe um feeling a little bit out of place at school, maybe maybe before you did that French exam, which did seem to be a moment that connected and wondering what advice you would give your younger self. If you had a little bit of advice to share with them to encourage on the journey, what would it be? I think um, trust your instincts. Um, if you can find your purpose, um, try find that correlation in everything that you do. You know, why do you enjoy might be maths. Why do you enjoy working with a group? Why do you enjoy working by yourself? Try and find that correlation uh, to identify your purpose, because as you said, Andrew, that, that becomes your North Star throughout your career. And that will help you make the right decisions at every step of the way. 
Fantastic. That is great advice for people. And it just takes a little bit of time, a little bit of pausing and thinking and reflecting and thinking back and connecting some dots. So, John, it's just, again, an absolute delight to chat to you. Thanks so much for your time today. My pleasure. My pleasure. If you've enjoyed this podcast, to help others enjoy it too, please subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. And don't forget to rate and review. Thank you.